1: You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And this week we're discussing The High Note and The Secret Garden, as well as all the latest movie and trailer news.
3: Let's get into it.
1: start with the high note tim.
3: Yeah, so the high note is set in the dazzling world of the LA music scene where Grace Davis, she's a superstar whose talent and ego have reached unbelievable heights and is at a crossroads in her career, and Maggie is Grace's overworked personal assistant who's stuck running errands but still aspires to her childhood dream of becoming a music producer, and both women are presented with choices that could change the course of their careers forever. Now that's a very overzealous kind of synopsis when mm. you compare it to the movie that we actually watched. I
1: think. Well I really loved the concept about two ambitious women finding the bravery to chase their dreams and I loved how confident and driven these two women are played by Tracy Ellis Ross mm. as Grace and Dakota Johnson as Maggie.
3: Now what I didn't realize is that Ross is actually Diana Ross's daughter. Mm. I had no idea. Until you told me, actually. (laughs) You
1: feel like this is the role she was born to play.
3: No wonder she was so convincing Mm. as an artist because, you know, she's got the absolute incredible Mm. strength of an artist in her mother and Diana Ross to kind of lean into Mm. and emulate.
1: I mean, some of the outfits in there and some of the ways that they designed her costuming were very Diana Ross too, weren't they?
3: Uh, Well, now knowing that it's Diana Ross's daughter, you can (laughs) certainly see the influence in a lot of areas and costume is certainly one of them for sure.
1: The movie also co-stars Kelvin Harrison Jr. as David, Ice Cube as Grace's manager Jack, mm-hmm. and Bill Pullman as Maggie's music-loving father Max.
3: Yes, I do love a bit of Bill Pullman. in I a was going to
1: say the same thing. Yeah, like put him in everything. Love it.
3: He's just so like relaxed in his roles, and I mm. think that he kind of just brought a lot of like ooze and a lot of charisma. You he know, brought a-, a lot of ooze. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> <Yes>. the. <laughs>
1: It's directed by Nisha Ganacha, who directed Late Night, another Mm -hmm. movie I really enjoyed. And the writer was Flora Greason, And this is her first credit, but Mm. she is a former personal assistant. So she's writing from what she knows.
3: Can we just focus on that? Because Mm. did you feel that this movie was just full of cliches? And I find it really Mm. surprising that the writer comes from this world of being a personal assistant because it just felt so... Unrealistic and disingenuous, and just really awkward to watch at times.
1: Really? Okay. So you didn't like it, I'm getting the impression. It was
3: just too much. Mm. And it put me on the defensive straight away because I always struggle when rich superstars come across as being really oblivious to their surroundings. Like there's Mm. a moment in the movie where Grace reaches out to Maggie and says what city am I in where am I you're in Detroit it's like Mm. oh yeah I'm in Detroit it's like for goodness sake Mm. are you really that disconnected from the world around you you've got no proof or vision that you don't even know what city you're in
1: well maybe that's true
3: maybe that is true but I just didn't feel it and found Grace as very instantly unlikable Mm. and quite unrelatable. And I didn't think she ever managed as a character to break through that with the audience and the and the characters around her.
1: I think it's interesting that you say that because that was one of my bugbears with the mm-hmm. film is that they didn't make her unlikable enough. I feel like they really underutilised her actually. Right. And one of the meatiest issues that this film is addressing is... ...is of a woman of a certain age being silenced and sidelined in her career. Mm. And I feel like they just didn't use that. They completely undermined what they were trying to achieve by trying to make her too likeable. It's like they were afraid to really give her the goods to go really hard in it. And there was one scene, there was a great moment where Tracy Ellis Ross just lets loose out of frustration Mm. at Maggie... And I just wanted more of that.
3: Yes. Thank you. Because in the trailer, they call out the fact that she is a middle-aged African-American artist. And she calls out these stats going, only this many women over the age of 40 have had number one hits and only one of them have been black. And I thought, right, great. That's the hook that we want to make this narrative really suck you in and to Mm. lean into Grace as an artist and a woman. Mm. And I totally agree with you. You didn't get that. They were trying to do too many things with this story Mm. and they never settled on exactly the type of narrative they were trying to tell. Whose story is it? Is it Grace's? Is it Maggie's personal assistant, her trying to be this music producer? Mm. Is it Grace trying to break through this, I'm a middle-aged artist and I want to release new music or no, I need to do the Caesars Palace residency. You know, it Mm. was kind of just a lot of mixed mixed subplots that were really undercooked
1: well it's that whole thing that you call out quite often about the marketing being misleading Mm -hmm. and so what i thought this movie was going to be about was two parallel stories about women lifting each other up and learning to support each other yeah being from completely different worlds and the only time their stories really converged effectively was during montages yeah there was a lot of montages in i
3: love a montage there's something about a film montage that kind of really cuts through usually have a snappy tune that really underpins it and gives a lot of energy and yeah this film leaned far too heavily into montages because it couldn't achieve anything mm. that the montage could through normal interaction between characters
1: it's like it began in one place And then became about giving equal footing to so many subplots, which I think Mm. really did a disservice to that meaty issue that I talked about earlier.
3: Exactly. And did you find that Grace and Maggie, although they had great chemistry between each other as assistant and artist, there were times when you just didn't actually understand what Grace's motivations were?
1: The tension was weak. It wasn't earned between them. Yeah. I mean there was some moments where she was just throwing out these barbs at Maggie completely left field. Mm. It was like she forgot to pick something up. You'll never be a producer.
3: I know, it was a bit over there, which is why it brings me back to Because uh, I didn't
1: pick up your washing or like yeah you know uh, cliche, I
3: mean? cliche. It was yeah. just a big fat hard cliche pill to swallow that just never went down right, it was stuck in your throat the whole movie.
1: Well the thing is, on the other hand, rom coms can be easy watching and really enjoyable. Like you shouldn't need to expect that much from them. They can be a nice, fun, you know, watch this movie with your girlfriends kind of flick. Mm. And on the surface, that's enjoyable, but it's like starting a sentence with someone that you don't finish. It can annoy the crap out of the person you're talking to. <laughs> and I feel like this movie started a sentence, started going somewhere and didn't finish.
3: What a great way of putting it. A sentence that never gets finished and you just don't... What were you going to say? to come back. Yeah. You just never got it, did you?
1: No, but you did get a nice song from Tracy Ellis Ross love you myself did. stop
3: for a minute i really had that song stuck <laughs> in my head clearly to this day but what's the one you just mentioned
1: love myself
3: oh yeah that yeah. was pretty powerful and
1: that was tracy ellis ross singing and you know, one of the positive things in this is she's got a great voice.
3: Oh, unbelievable voice. Mm. I'm not very familiar with her work as an actress. Are you? Because I'm like, where has this woman been? She's
1: fantastic in blackish.
3: Ah, oh, okay. This is a mm. series I need to watch. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Dakota Johnson as <laughs> Maggie? I find her really likable to watch in a film, but
1: In this one I felt she was largely forgettable. And it <laughs> yeah, was that thing ouch. again of these two main stories. Being sidelined for other things. I loved that her character had the confidence the whole time. Like mm. she knew she could be a producer. It wasn't about being very timid and going, oh, I'm sorry. I've just been working on this album. She was like, no, I've been working on your album. Sure. I can do this. And I loved that. Then it just went off in all these random different directions. And I thought, oh.
3: There was a particular twist in this movie that you picked right from the beginning, mm. I believe. And yeah. do you think that was another, like a sentence that started that was never really finished?
1: It was more like you finished the sentence with a completely different story.
3: (laughs) I'm loving these (laughs) analogies.
1: But yes, I did pick that and I I said to my husband when we were watching it, Mm. I said, you know, I'm not going to blow the twist, but I I called it and he went, oh my God, that's ridiculous.
3: It could have been something really moving, impactful that could Mm. have underpinned the whole story and it could have led to that moment. It was a third act throwaway that kind Mm. of led into something of this really unfamiliar world of the dog eat dog music industry that just felt, again, disingenuous Mm. for me. And I, I guess I couldn't relate to this movie on a lot of levels and... You know, where they had beautiful moments to capture, Mm. they were just thrown away and uh, under-realized.
1: You want to talk about Ice Cube a little bit, though, don't you?
3: Okay, what the fuck? Ice Cube, (laughs) Ice Cube. He probably had some of the worst dialogue written for him ever. Mm. And you could just tell that. I guess he was having fun with it, but it really just came across as so aggressive and so unnecessary. And it was almost like he was in a different movie. Yeah. And then he just disappeared for the back half of the movie. It was like, (laughs) so why were we leaning so far into him and everything he had to say? And then he buddy buggered off. Another character, can I just say, Mm -hmm. is who I adore. June, Dane, Raphael.
1: Can't forget her. Of
3: Grace and Frankie fame, who Mm -hmm. seriously, guys, watch that series. It's on Netflix unbelievable
1: again completely pointless here though
3: okay she was lost in this unwelcome random parody her and ice cube were in two different movies (laughs) and she's so talented as a comedic actress Mm. and what did you think about her role in this movie
1: yeah it was a bit pointless it was so pointless i couldn't get past the fact that you know maggie gets fired at one point yet she's completely inept absolutely ridiculous and she's still there doing what
3: what are the reasons behind the decisions these characters make when you've got someone like Gail cleaning the pool and, you know... In you know high heels. In and- know high heels and off on Xanax or something. I don't know. She was just high the whole time.
1: Sounds like we didn't like this movie very much, but what were the positives?
3: The positives, I think the soundtrack was really good. Mm. Uh, the storytelling through the music, although they couldn't achieve it through dialogue and character development, mm. they really hit some great high notes in the music so to speak
1: it's quite a tight movie as well
3: very tight yeah which
1: is an achievement in itself when you Mm. think about how much they tried to pack in
3: yeah i think la was shot really beautifully we've seen la countless times in Mm. movies you know over the decades and it felt fresh and new and different it did unlock Mm. a whole new world i hadn't really seen in in the la scene so i appreciated the cinematography as well as the soundtrack
1: How many popcorn kernels would you give the high note?
3: I'm going to give the high note two popcorn kernels. I just felt that it was a very cliched and confused narrative that had a lot of, like you said, sentences that started that never ended, (laughs) was trying to say too much and Mm. kind of got lost in too many subplots that never really gave you satisfaction in the end. So how about you?
1: I'm going to give it two and a half popcorn kernels. It had important things to say, but the stakes just weren't high enough for me. It needed to dig deeper on its core message and know what it was trying to be about. So I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's almost worse. (laughs) The high note, guys, you can catch that in cinemas now.
1: So let's move on to The Secret Garden, Tim. This is a remake of a bunch of movies, one in 1993. I think there's an older version as well.
3: There's actually countless versions of Mm. The Secret Garden, TV movies, as well as cinema releases, yeah.
1: And it's based, of course, on a classic novel. Mm. When Mary Lennox's parents suddenly die, she's sent to live with her uncle, Archibald Craven, on his remote country estate deep in the Yorkshire moors. Mm. While exploring, she discovers a hidden magical garden.
3: And this is directed by Mark Mudden, and it's written by Jack Thorne, and it's based on the novel, as we mentioned, by Francis Hodgson. And it stars a really fantastic cast, which we'll unpack in a moment. Dixie Egricks, Colin Firth, Julie Waters, Isis Davis, Emir Wilson, and Eden
1: Now, the most important question you need to ask when it comes to a remake or Mm -hmm. a reboot or any kind of reimagining is what is different about this version? What are they bringing to the table that's new and exciting and a different way to look at this story? So what did The Secret Garden 2020 bring to the theatre?
3: I think that it brought a few different things. Themes to mm. it. One of the biggest themes that were different to other iterations that I have seen is the theme of mental health. Mm-hmm. I think that was something that they really lent into through Mary's parents, especially her mother, mm. and then the character that Colin Firth played, Archibald Craven, and also the young boy, Colin. So between all those characters that I mentioned, there's this underpinning theme of mental health and anxiety that I think was something that was new and fresher in mm. this interpretation. What, what did you think?
1: They've also given the garden a life of its own in this one. So it's not Huge. simply about creating a beautifully planted garden to film. Mm. It's about giving the garden a life of its own and making it come to life and interact with the characters. Yeah. I really like that.
3: And I guess that is achievable in this day and age being 2020 mm. and the technology in order to achieve that more fantastical imaginative world through the use of cgi Mm -hmm. so i think that was a good inclusion usually when you're saying cgi and how that really impacts a Mm. story it's kind of it needs to be authentic and not distract Mm. But I think, I don't know what you thought, it really was the perfect companion to this story and used in really effective, beautiful ways. I
1: completely agree. There was a lot of work that went into bringing you into mm. this world. I mean, I could feel the wind. I could, right. I could feel the cold puddles, how desolate the mansion is, I The cinematography was incredible and the use of color was fantastic to tell the story. So you have these earthy browns and greens in the moors. And then when you go to the garden or the flashbacks, it's vibrant colors coming to life. And I love how they seamlessly transitioned between those.
3: Yes, there was so much beautiful attention and craftsmanship Mm. in realizing all the costumes, the sets, the cinematography, the CGI, and how they talked and coexisted together through use of cinematography. There was beautiful anticipation through its direction and how it was filmed in that it left the story and the narrative to really breathe, to leave Mm. breathing room for Mary to find her place in this new world and then also the audience to find that familiarity in her world.
1: I mean, nostalgia is a powerful tool. They they didn't need to be heavy-handed with this Mm. because the magic of spending hours outside exploring that's what the beauty of The Secret Garden is. You know, everyone can relate to that.
3: Yeah, I've come to record today and I've left my phone at home <laughs> and I'm very anxious about it. But watching this movie, you can really understand like what you can discover about yourself and the world around you when you do just go out and explore mm. and lean into nature and how that can literally change your life. Mm. And here I am without my phone this morning. <laughs> And I'm like, I need a secret garden. Maybe this is my secret garden moment (laughs) where (laughs) I I have a lot to discover about myself today. That this movie really awoken in me, I suppose, as well.
1: Let's talk about the performances, the children, especially. Dixie was fantastic, I thought. She was
3: unbelievable. Yeah. They nailed the casting with this, I think. When you have to cast children, gee, there are some movies out there with some bad kids. Like, they just can't <laughs> act for shit. But these guys were just utterly convincing, weren't they? hmm
1: And the character of Colin I found extremely irritating. And mm. when I looked deeper at it, I thought, it's not the actor. He's doing a great job.
3: Yeah. Well, the kids are brats in this movie. I mean, this is a coming-of-age <laughs> story for more than mm. one of these children. And you've got these self-entitled absolute brats in both their different contexts. Mm-hmm. And you're meant to feel that way about them. You're meant to kind of hate these kids. Yeah. But then you're really meant to empathize with them and love them at the end, I think, in in them coming to terms with their surroundings By themselves as preteens, you know, there's a lot of maturity that is within these characters as well.
1: You can almost forgive them though; they're growing up in war torn areas and Mm. awful depression era, you know, surroundings.
3: Exactly, with parents with mental health issues, as Mm. mentioned earlier, like there, that's a lot of taxing things for young kids to have to take in themselves.
1: Speaking of mental health issues, did you find it weird that the first time we see her mother's smile was when she was about to be engulfed by flame? That sort of struck me as a bit strange.
3: Yeah, well, can we talk about those moments where, Mm. like, imagination is another big theme in how these memories of Mm. her mother or past life, her time in India, so Mary grew up in India, the the girl. Mm. How did you feel about us really being introduced to characters who are no longer there in the present Mm. time? And having them sweep through the house, just memories around them and imagining them. Did you think that was effective?
1: No, definitely. Mm. Because Mary had a larger than life imagination. So it made sense that it would engulf her surroundings. Yeah, And I think they did that really effectively, as I said, making it a seamless transition.
3: Beautiful. Yeah, the editing was stunning. Mm. How it was shot, the editing, it all made it very clear that you were on this kind of cusp between real world and imaginative world, and it managed to just marinate it together so beautifully. Speaking of characters, we've touched Mm. on the children. I kind of want to touch on Colin Firth. Mm -hmm. I wanted more from him. I think Mm. that one of the weak areas of this movie was that his character was very mysterious, and rightfully so. He Mm. was a mysterious character. But I wanted more, and I think that would have helped In us empathising with him a bit stronger. Right. What do you reckon?
1: You only get to see behind the curtain a bit more when he's sitting in his deceased wife's room. Yes. And, you know, sort of remembering and, or he's standing outside his son's bedroom door. But yeah, you don't get a lot of that. But I don't think you got a lot of that in the other movies either.
3: Yeah, I guess it is a movie for the children. It is Mm. their story. So I imagine that was a conscious decision of the writers and the director in terms of, no, this is Marion Collins' story, mm. not Craven's. So how many popcorn curdles would you rate The Secret Garden, Lee?
1: I'm going to give it four. Wow. I was leaning into four and a half. But I'm going to pull it back to four. Actually, no, let's go four and a half. I'm going to give it four and a half. I think it was a pretty amazing film and beautifully done. And as I said, if you're going to do a remake, which everyone is these days, and mm-hmm. we know how we feel about that. You need to really bring something new to the table, and I think they've done that.
3: I agree. Look, I found this film beautifully told. It was very tender. Mm. It took its time in finding these moments and communicating these moments with the characters, the pacing was stunning. And it really married effects and cinematography and sound design so beautifully. And you experienced these stunning performances from these children covering grief, mental health, growth, healing, Mm. discovery, and acceptance, all these really big, powerful words and themes. And they nailed them all for the audience. And you really took a lot out of it. So I'm not far behind you. I'm giving it four popcorn kernels.
1: Had you seen the 93 version with Maggie Smith?
3: Yes I have but as a kid so it wasn't particularly familiar to me But Mm. I did get these waves of nostalgia hit me See
1: I would have been about 11 years old in 93 And Mm. so that film is actually one of my favourite films Mm. So for me to have said that they've built on it and done better is a big call
3: Yeah that is really nice sentiment to take Mm. out of a movie that we've seen so many iterations of Well The Secret Garden is also in cinemas now so check it out
1: Let's move on to news now. We've got some exciting news. We've got the trailer for The Croods 2, A New Age, showing the world's first family... Meeting another family called the Bettermans.
3: Now, I had so much fun watching this trailer. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to watch the Croods to mm-hmm. a new age. Like, I am sign me up.
1: So, this is coming hopefully in December, I think. We've got some more Justice League news. Justice League is going to undergo a week of reshoots in October, and all of the main cast are returning to their roles. So, this means Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher which is surprising because at the moment he's currently in dispute with Warner brothers Mm. and Henry Cavill. Now that's exciting because I hope they're going to redo his scenes with his mustache.
3: (laughs) I think that Zack Snyder has said that nothing that Joss Whedon shot for the reshoots for the theatrical version a couple of years ago will make his cut. (sighs) It's only stuff that he shot in camera when in principal photography. Mm. And you mentioned reshoots. I don't know how true this is, but reports are that they're spending another $75 $75 million in capturing these reshoots. Like, where is this money coming from? Why are they putting it behind this movie? Just, I'm confused.
1: <laughs> you look baffled. Obviously, they're expecting return on it because people were so mobilized to mm. get this movie made.
3: We will constantly be bringing you Zack Snyder Justice League cut <laughs> news, I'm sure. But this is an interesting addition to the story and bringing this new version to life. So watch this space.
1: Now, this next piece of news, I don't know if we bore this into fruition with our talk last week we thought it might happen (laughs) disney has announced that it's shuffled the release date again for black widow it's now going to hit theaters in early may 2021 which of course sets off an inevitable mcu domino effect for Mm. shang chi and the eternals
3: listeners if you can tell the pain (sighs) in lee's voice there we were so damn close to Black Widow. It was meant to be coming out in early October here mm. in Australia.
1: What is surprising is that they've also moved Death on the Nile, which was just around the corner. Mm. So they've moved that to a mid-December release. December is going to be a huge month this year for movie releases.
3: Oh, I agree. There is a bit of movement, though, in December with Steven Spielberg's West Side Story moving an entire year. So that was originally coming out in Boxing Day of 2020, literally being picked up, thrown into Boxing Day 2021 in Australia. Australia now.
1: I guess on the good side of this, production companies and filmmakers don't want to rush their product into mm, cinemas. Yeah. I mean a lot of them have had delays because of coronavirus and had to, you know, put a lot of production on hold. So it's kind of reassuring that they're not going to rush it.
3: I agree. I think that's it's good. They're hard decisions to make because mm. they're out of pocket hundreds of millions of dollars across all these films. It's yeah. a massive risk this industry and in that you put 100, 200 million dollars into one film and you can't release it for 18 months like that's Mm. pretty crazy for them to have to make these rash decisions to make sure that they do get their return so we'll just have to lean into our patients a little bit more
1: What's also surprising on the positive side is that Disney has kept its late November date for the Pixar animation Soul Mm. instead of it shunting it to Disney Plus like we thought they would, so that's great.
3: I reckon it's still going to find its way on Disney Plus, I'm calling it. Oh,
1: really? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. You heard it here first.
3: You heard it here first. Speaking of Disney, Lee, in the next live action news that Disney seemed to be leaning into a lot, The Peter Pan and Wendy production has found it's Tinkerbell. Yara Shahidi from Blackish will play Tink alongside the already announced Jude Law, who's playing Hook.
1: I love Jude Law as Hook. I think it's going to be great. Oh,
3: I just love Jude Law.
1: (laughs) He's really having a renaissance at the moment, isn't he?
3: Yeah, like Keanu Reeves did. I was about to
1: say (laughs) (laughs) Keanu's. (laughs) Wait,
3: what? We need to coin a phrase for Jude Law. We'll bring that to you next week.
1: We also have more casting news. Aldous Hodge is going to play Hawkman in DC's Black Adam alongside The Rock. We recently saw him in The Invisible Man.
3: It's great to see all these new castings for this DC movie. We've obviously got The Rock, who is Mm. really, really excited about this title. So it's great that... his supporting actors are kind of coming in
1: the rock was so excited about getting to work on black adam he ripped his gate off the hinges did you see that on instagram
3: (laughs) i did and i was baffled and i read his whole story about what he had to do and he had to go to work and get this movie done for us and he
1: ripped the hydraulics off the wall
3: i mean if he wasn't any more of a beast of a man (laughs) he is black adam personified oh god.
1: he's the coolest but that just proves his commitment that's what he's known for his commitment to the job and he was worried about all these people waiting for him yeah so he just ripped it off the hinges and off he went
3: god like, if that was to me i'd be like uh back to bed i'll work from home today
1: what a great way to close off the news for this week
3: 100 percent. always good to round it off with some rock news lee huh
1: so we reviewed The Secret Garden, which we loved, and The High Note, which we were a little disappointed in, but they're both in cinemas now, so you can see it for yourself. Thanks for listening.
3: Catch you next time.
1: Come and join us in the conversation on Facebook. Like our page at popcornpodcastAU AU and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about these movies.